Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Today, I'm going to start talking. So we've been looking at the book of Mark, haven't we? And so we're going to carry on in that. And I'm going to read Mark chapter 5, which Laurie amazingly read a little bit of this morning. A little bit of spoiler as you came in. Um, and so just right from the outset, the message that I want you to leave with this morning is that no matter what your situation today, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, that Jesus sees you, comes after you, and then sends you. So, have you ever felt unreachable, unlovable, past it, too much for anyone to help, too far gone, are all phrases in here, isn't it? Well, today we're going to read about someone who society had cast out and had decided was too far gone for help. But the amazing thing is, and this is another spoiler alert, uh, he wasn't too far gone for Jesus. So we're going to be continuing in this Gospel of Mark, which is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. And basically, if you imagine someone following you around, writing down everything that you get up to, well, that's a bit what the book of Mark is like. And so far, we've seen miraculous healings, we've seen baptisms, we've seen preaching and teaching, we've seen calling of disciples. It's been action-packed and full of really good news. And today, we find ourselves in chapter 5, which has got two main events. It's got Jesus healing a man who's being afflicted by a demon, and Jesus healing some physical illness. And today we're going to focus on the first account in this chapter. And then Charlie's going to come up and read us the passage. Okay. Um, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered through among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man. 
and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Okay, so I have to apologise in advance because my slides have been left at home. <laughs> Apologies. Not going to blame anyone. <laughs> um, so we begin this passage with Jesus, and Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee. And you, you might remember that while he was crossing the Sea of Galilee, this giant storm came. The disciples were terrified. Jesus was snoozing, um, but they woke him up. And Jesus took authority over the storm and it stopped. And what I find really interesting about this passage is that, again, there's some spoilers, but Jesus got on the boat, crossed the sea, met the man with the legion, healed him, spent some time with him, and then got back in the boat and went to heal Jairus' daughter. And I believe that Jesus was really intentional here. He sought out this man. Um, he came to meet his need and he was willing to cross the storm, cross the sea in the storm, to get to him. And I just want to give a moment just to really dwell on that, because sometimes we write ourselves off, and we can tell ourselves that we're just not important enough for Jesus or others to care about us. Um, but Jesus is love. Um, he's absolutely ready to get on the boat, cross over, and come alongside you in your time of need. Um, and Jesus had been trying to have a nap, hadn't he? Um, and he was probably weary, tired, but he was still willing to go and do it for that man. And it made me think about how Jesus is nothing like us. Um, my family will tell you that if I'm tired, if I'm weary because I've had a rubbish night's sleep or a hard week at work, then I am reluctant to get off the couch. I don't care how much you need me, I'll find any way to stay there and get some rest. But Jesus is nothing like me. He's quick to lay that aside and come and reach out to us in our time of need. So he's come across the sea and it says, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Wow. <laughs> it's painting quite the picture, hasn't it? And it can be really easy to very quickly say one of two things. Either this man is nothing like me, I don't know anyone like him, and so it doesn't relate to me. I can switch my ears off, I can check out. Or you might see aspects of yourself or your life in this man and the passage terrifies you. But actually, I think there's something for us all to relate to in this man. I'm not going to pretend to understand the finer detail of what's happening with regards to the influence of these demonic spirits. But the Bible is really clear that we live in a spiritual world. Um, the Bible describes the devil as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2. Basically, there's an enemy everywhere. And there are many accounts of people being afflicted or oppressed. 
by the devil or, or evil spirits in either physical or psychological ways. And there's a huge spectrum in terms of the influence that the enemy can have. And in lots of ways, we don't fully understand that. Um, but what we can know and understand is that it's no surprise to God, and he's given us some ways to stand against it. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us to put on the whole armour of God, that we may stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think this verse is really clear that we can't escape the fact that we're in a battle. And now I know very little about battle, um, but what I do know is that if I go into battle denying that it's even happening, there's no enemy, without my armour on, without any weapons at all, then I'm not going to do very well. <laughs> In fact, I'm probably going to get wiped out pretty quickly. Um, so we've got to be aware that the, de the Bible says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those he might devour. So again, we just can't be naive to the fact that there is an enemy. So, at the start, I said I wanted you to know that Jesus sees you and seeks you out. So let's go back to this man that Jesus has chosen to seek out. Well, he was almost certainly not a Jew. Uh, the region of the Gerasenes was not Jewish territory. Uh, and this man was found among graveyards with a bunch of pigs. Um, and you may or may not know, but in the Old Testament, there's the first bit of the Bible before Jesus came, there's lots of rules about what makes you unclean or clean, and it was really important to be clean. And for Jews, contact with dead people or pigs, unclean. So it's very likely that this man is not a Jew. Um, and if this man has, has got a family, he's been rejected, hasn't he? He's an outcast, he's probably been seen as completely irredeemable and they've ditched him. Um, now, I personally, I can relate to this man in a lot of ways, actually. Um, before I was a Christian, I carried a lot of rejection. Um, my dad left home when I was very young, when I was nine. I had a not great relationship with my mum. A lot of inner self-loathing, some self-harm behaviour. Um, and I never had an experience where someone came and cast a legion out of me. But I absolutely came to know a Jesus who seeks me out. Um, he put loads of people in my path who loved me, cared for me, pointed me to him and told me that there was another option. And in my story, it's been the faithful kindness of Christians that have pointed me to believe. And I wonder today um, what lies you may have been believing or continue to believe. Um, maybe it's that you're useless. Maybe it's that you're not attractive enough for this world that tells us we've got to live a certain way before we have any value. Maybe it's that you've got no talent. Maybe it's that you'll never have good friends because you're just not funny enough. Or maybe it's that you'll never break an addiction that is hanging around your neck. But just like the man in this account, Jesus knows what is going on for you. And even more than getting in a boat and crossing a storm, he hung on a cross so that you could know how deeply he loves you. Mm -hmm. And you may now be left wondering, well, if Jesus loves us so much, why are all these evil things still in the world? 
And that's a really big question that we could spend all day talking about, and you'd be pleased to know we're not going to do that. Um, and you're right, though, that the account of this man shows us that there's very real activity in the world of the devil and his minions. And it's really important, though, that we're aware of this, but also um, the avenues that we can open ourselves up to this influence, but also really important to know that Jesus didn't leave us without the information we need to stand firm against our enemy. And you might be wondering what all this means. Maybe you don't even know what the devil is. Maybe the devil is just a little joke figure of a man in a red suit with horns and a trident. They would have been a smart. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what the Bible teaches us about him. It tells us that he's a father of lies, that he's a thief, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a very real enemy, but thankfully we have a very real champion who has ultimately defeated him and now given us authority to, as the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. So when talking about this kind of thing, it would not be uncommon for some to talk about the influence of the occult, Satanism, witchcraft, all these sorts of things. And you might have no clue about any of this kind of stuff. We're basically talking about things that try to help us access other spirits or, you know, other things. And it might be things like Ouija boards, seances, mystical type stuff. And the Bible does talk about it. And in the book of Acts, which talks about the growth of the early church, where we've got lots of new people coming to know Jesus for the first time, there are a number of new Christians who had practiced magic arts and they bought their books. It says they bought their books and they burned them. And the total of those books was 50,000 pieces of silver. There's no small sum. So there was a big practice of witchcraft. And yes, it's really important to note, and if it's something you are or have been involved with, um, then I'd encourage you to do what these new Christians did. Just get rid of it. It might open up avenues for the enemy, but most of all, I think it shows a lack of trust and reliance in God because we don't need magic. I often say to the kids about wishing, you don't need to wish, you can pray, you can talk to God about it. Um, but if you're sitting here now finding yourself worrying maybe about the influence something might have had in your life, then ask a trusted person to pray for you or talk it out with them. Um, but one thing that I think the Bible is really clear about is the power of sin in our lives to open up ways for the enemy to have an influence. Ephesians 4, there's a couple of verses. Ephesians 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Um, and 2 Corinthians, it talks about the importance of us forgiving people so that we should not be outwitted by Satan. And if we go right back to the beginning of Genesis, when the devil tempted Eve to eat the apple, Adam and Eve, it was her and Adam's sin that gave the devil a foothold. So even more than this magical stuff, we need to look at sin. Um, so if we want to be serious about keeping out the influence of our enemy, we must be just as serious about waging war on our sin. We must let it have no place in our lives. And when it creeps in, or we let it in with the door wide open, which we've all done, we must be quick to say sorry and receive God's forgiveness. And in that passage that I referred to earlier about the armour of God, um, it talks about a shield of faith. 
And basically, if you imagine a Roman soldier, <laughs> with a shield, it's not like a little, little thing, it's like a whole body thing. Um, and imagine that Roman soldier with that shield that covers its whole body. This is what the word that's used in the Bible, that's what it's talking about, a big shield, a strong defence. Um, but also, if you think about a Roman soldier's shield, you might have seen this image before, but they were designed to be used together as well. They, were, you know, they make that thing, they make, um, where they've got them on top, they've got them round the sides, they're like impenetrable. Um, and so, you know, where those shields are meant to be used in the context of an army together providing a strong defence. You and I are not meant to go it alone. Um, be alongside brothers and sisters in church who will support and encourage and maybe even challenge you when you're going in the wrong direction. And I've known this in my own life. Um, I've got some very confident friends um, and I remember making some very deliberate choices at an early stage in my Christian life that was just blatant sin um, and it was affecting me quite a lot actually and my friend knew this and noticed this and she sat in my room and she refused to leave until we talked about it and I'm so thankful that God used her friendship to shield me to challenge me, to point me in the right direction, to almost turn me around and shove me in the right direction. And if you don't have that in your life right now, then just think about who you might want to build deeper friendship or relationship with that might support you and encourage you on your journey. And that shield of faith is talking about our trust in God. Um, do you trust his promises? Do you believe that he's good? Uh, when the devil throws, it talks about his fiery arrows that he throws at us. We were talking earlier about those lies that we can believe. Um, then you can hold up your faith in the knowledge of who God is and know God's protection. And one of the most important things that will enable you to do this is to read your Bible. If we don't know God's promises, we can't hold them up against an enemy. Um, so maybe think about carving out a regular time to read your Bible. And that might look, it will look different for all of us. It might look like a deep study of long passages. It might be um, meditating on one line. Um, or it might be Bible journaling if you're creatively minded. Or it might be getting involved in life group or prayer meeting where we can learn from one another. And I know that I'm personally really blessed and by hearing from others in the church who just have incredible Bible knowledge, and I can soak that in. Um, so, as we go back to this account again, after the demons had left, it says there was time for some herdsmen to go and tell the story in the city and the country and return and find Jesus still with this man. I'd never realised that before, um, but Jesus didn't just cast out those demons and get on his way. There were no cars, <laughs> there was no quick way of getting um, to the city and the country. Um, he stayed with the man, he clothed him, I imagine he spoke to him, sat with him, shared parables with him maybe, maybe just chatted to him, maybe he ate with him, just enjoyed his company. Um, the fast pace of Mark can almost give us this impression of Jesus as this like bish bash bosh kind of miracle, move on, healing, move on, teaching, move on. Um, but actually, I loved reflecting on this passage. Jesus stuck around for a bit and doesn't even tell you what he did. He just was there, he just stuck around. 
Um, and I imagine that this man, just coming out of what he'd been through, was completely shell-shocked. He might have had so many questions about who Jesus was, why is he healed him? Um, and I just love picturing this scene, and I think it's really helpful to picture ourselves in this scene. Jesus hasn't come to do a quick fix in us. He sits with us, he lingers with us, he invests his time in loving us and being with us. And to me, this is just yet another demonstration of Jesus' ability to reach down into people's dirty lives with such amazing care and compassion, to restore dignity, to rehumanize people. And maybe, like we talked about earlier, Maybe you felt an outcast at times in your life for whatever reason. Maybe it's a sin behaviour that got found out. Maybe it's a physical disability that makes you feel different. Well, Jesus wants to restore your dignity, um, to clothe you, to give you freedom where previously you might have been chained. And this, to me, is just another picture of Jesus' wonderful character. And it also begs the question, doesn't it? It made me think of Doreen's talk with the hole in the roof um, at the end, but it begs the question of where the man got his clothes from. It's really likely that one of the disciples just gave up an outfit for this man, or maybe between them, they all gave a little bit. Um, but either way, it shows that sometimes following Jesus comes with a cost for the benefit of others. Um, the disciples were now ambassadors or representatives of Jesus. And I think he was rubbing off on them. And I imagine that his, you just imagine walking around with Jesus, but I imagine that his kindness, his compassion was just totally infectious. Um, and I like to think they gave their clothes because they caught the kindness of Jesus. And we'll not likely have to take the clothes off our back for someone, but we should be regularly thinking about what's the cost for me this week of following Jesus. It might be a financial donation to someone you know is in hardship. Is it cooking a meal for a friend or a colleague who you know is struggling? Is it dedicating time to pray specifically and regularly for someone's situation? Is it saying hi to someone on the bus to work when you're a deep introvert and hate conversations with rude people? There are loads of ways that Jesus may ask us to be his ambassador. Sometimes for me, it's going the tiny extra mile for a patient. I remember once I spent about half an hour on the phone with a patient in the room with me while I tried to find out her specialist plan in my 10 minute appointment. Um, she was anxious and worried. She'd had a significant injury. She was in a back brace and she didn't know what was happening next. And I knew if I said to her, off you go, I'll ask the secretary to chase it up that she would leave my room just as anxious as she entered it. And in that moment, I didn't tell her anything about Jesus, but I was an ambassador for Jesus, and it will look differently for all of us. And lastly, the man wanted to stay with Jesus, but Jesus said no. He had a job for him to do. Um, and I think this might have been, can't say it's 100%, but I think this might have been Jesus' first commission for someone to go out and share the good news. The first person he trusted was this man that had just had all these, these demons come out of him. Amazing. And so he gave this man a purpose. Jesus wanted people to see the change that he brought about in this man's life. And I have no doubt that people would have known about a man who could break chains and not be shackled. 
Um, for them to see what Jesus had done in his life would have been an incredible testimony. So the power of God and his goodness for the non-Jews or the Gentiles. So God has got a mission field for us. Where's he sending you this week? Is it into your workplace? Is it to your housemates? Is it with your family who don't believe? Is it further afield? Don't leave. Um, we're, we're to be sensitive to hear where he's sending us and to keep asking him, what are your plans um, for us or for me? Um, and you'll notice that the job Jesus gives this man is go home and tell you, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. One of our greatest jobs, we often get caught up, don't we, and what's my purpose? One of our greatest jobs is just to share with others what God has done in our lives. Um, and that might be, I share our stories, it's a calling, and, and it might be in tiny snippets. It might be while in the pub with a friend and you just saying, you know what, I was really stressed this week and I prayed in God with this. So it might be tiny things like that. Or it might be doing street evangelism like Laurie and Eric and telling strangers that what God has, has done in your life and your testimony, your story of coming to him. It can look differently for all of us, but each bit is just as valuable. And then a lovely bit at the end of this is that the next story begins with Jesus getting back on the boat and going back across the Sea of Galilee. I think I mentioned it at the, at the beginning. But I think this tells us that Jesus got on that boat to seek out and rescue that man. And then he heads straight back to heal Jairus' daughter and the bleeding woman. He's a God that is about people. Um, what God? So to wrap up, I think there's a lot to unpick in this passage. And, and we might leave with even more questions. And that's fine. Come and chat to one of us on the team or chat to um, someone in the church about your questions. Um, but what I think is really clear is that it's a message that points us to the activity of demonic spirits and powers, but also points us to a God who's fully in control. It points us to a God who cares deeply for us, who crosses barriers to get to us and wants to bring us into freedom. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today, then I also want to point you to a cross where Jesus died, where he swapped my sin and your sin for his perfection and took the punishment for all our sins so that we can know him and walk in freedom. The Bible says that even the demons know who he is and shudder. It's not enough to simply know who he is. It wants us to throw our lot in with him. Why wouldn't you want to get to know this wonderful old man that we've just read about in this passage? So we're going to wrap up. We're going to have Sam pray for us as we wrap up. Um, and maybe you want to pray. Maybe you want to accept Jesus' offer of a trade. Maybe you've dabbled in some things that you want to stand against in prayer. Or maybe there's active wrongdoing in your life right now and you'd like help to stop that. So I'm just going to pray and then maybe we can pray together after as well. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are a God who sees us, pursues us, cares us, loves, cares for us, loves us. And Jesus, I thank you that you're willing to go the extra mile, that you're willing to cross the storm to find us, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that you are the answer. You are the answer to all of it, Lord Jesus. And I just pray for anyone today who might be feeling um, uncertain by things in this passage, Maybe feeling like an outcast right now. 
maybe feeling isolated or alone, maybe worried about some of those things, maybe has even been worried about the activity of, of the demonic. God, I just pray we bring peace, we bring clarity, um, and yeah, God, I thank you that you love us so much. Amen.